Turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter one. We're in a series called Scriptures That Speak. And as you're turning there, I want to welcome everybody that's joining us online, live and or later, especially we want to praise God for all of our brothers and sisters in Christ that we get to stream our services to at the Eunice City Jail. Would you please make sure that they know how grateful we are that they've taken the time to tune in today? We're going to get we're going to dig into a verse uh, that I've probably quoted as much or more than any other verse from this pulpit over the last going on seven years as the pastor of this church. John chapter one, verse one. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. This is not a book, this is a body. And the body is Jesus and Jesus is the body. The word is alive and active because Jesus is alive and active. I'm going to come back to that in a minute. I heard T.D. Jakes do this and it caused me to be envious. And when he did it, his whole church started doing it with him and, and service started to take place in that point. It's crazy to me how many people say they have the glory, but they don't show the glory. There's no point in getting the glory if you're not going to go in the glory and reveal it to anybody. But the Bible says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He personal pronoun of the male gender form in the original Greek. He was in the beginning. I love my mama, but I don't have a heavenly mama. I have a heavenly father. That's what my book says. He, Jesus, the father, son, and the spirit were there in the beginning. All things were made through him. And without him, nothing was made that was made. In him was the life. That means that outside of him, there ain't nothing but death. But in him is the life. And the life is the light of all men. Mankind. That's the best translation of that word. For the light shines in the darkness. Why? Because light is not the absence of darkness, but darkness is the absence of light. That means that the darkness cannot comprehend the light, cannot overcome the light, cannot challenge the light, has no authority over the light because the light is Jesus and Jesus is the light. And the last time I read this book all the way through, I found out Jesus won and the darkness lost, the devil lost. And that means anything that comes against it's this word and or the one that this word represents loses. But in him, oh, I got to show you why and how a perspective of how John, the beloved, came up with the idea to open his gospel with these five standards. Turn your attention to the screens and I'll be right back. Almost, sorry, uh, almost, they're getting restless out there. So, do you have a favorite passage from the first five? Um, do you? I don't know. I like them all. <laughs> you don't say. 
I suppose I, I love the beginning. Mm. I love how God simply spoke and, and the world came into being. Yes. As David wrote, by the word of the Lord, yeah. the heavens were made. You know, the Greeks use word to describe divine reason, what gives the world form and meaning. I like that. <laughs> and it is a favorite memory. reading from the first scroll of Moses. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning was the Word. And the earth was void and without form. And the Word was with God. And the darkness covered the face of the deep. And the word was God. Then God said, Let there be light. And there was light. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There are a lot of opinions on The Chosen and all that's gone into the series and some of the extra biblical and or artistic license, if you will, that goes along with that series. And if you've never seen the series or if you don't really want to watch the series, whether you like it or not, I highly recommend season two, episode one. It is of all of the episodes, my absolute favorite because it shows a glimpse of why Jesus started his ministry in Samaria where all of his people, quote, his people, hated another group of people and Jesus came and Jesus said that there shall not be hatred but love between these two individuals that you're not going to worship on that mountain or on this mountain you're not going to worship on that side of the tracks or this side of the tracks but the apostle Paul understood what Jesus was trying to show his disciples when he revealed himself first 
first and foremost to a neglected Samaritan woman alone at a well. That Jesus didn't come for Jews or Greeks or Gentiles or slaves or free or white or black or Asian or Caucasian. He didn't come for any ethnicity and or color skin. He came for all people of all creed because we are having one Lord, one God, one spirit, one body, one church, one Christ. And we're all either covered in the blood or we're not covered at all. And I need a generation full of people to understand it doesn't matter how you were raised or where you were raised. I need my children to see past skin tone in the name of Jesus and begin to look with the eyes of the Lord that stares into the heart of an individual no matter their ethnicity and or nationality. Can I get an amen from all the people that call Jesus Lord? At the end of this season, I'd already seen it, but at the end of this episode, my children looked over me at me and said, are you crying? And I said, I'm not crying, you're crying. <laughs> my wife wasn't even there, it was just us. We're watching it. I'm telling you, this got me. And I got down in the floor. I had somebody ask me, I'm gonna go ahead and say it. I had somebody ask me one time, would you let your daughter marry a black man? I said, what the heaven does it matter what color skin the boy has? I'm not praying for a black man, a red man, a yellow man, or a white man. I don't care if he's pale or tan. Come on, somebody. I care is the man a man after God's own heart. And if he's a man after God's own heart, I don't care what color he is. And I need my children to understand that Jesus already dealt with that demonic spirit of racism. And the church has the answer because the church has Jesus. And Jesus always was, is, and shall forever be the solution to every sin of all mankind. Now, I preach that way harder than I meant to. That means I'm going to hurt myself in the next 35 minutes. I sat down in the floor and I prayed with my babies. And I spoke as much biblical truth into them as I could. And our number one objective in this series, Scriptures That Speak is the get to get God's people back in God's word. That's the number one objective. In fact, this morning we prayed that this message would stand out to you above any other message that we've preached in recent history. Because my understanding of this verse transformed the way that I read the Bible and the reason that I remember the Bible. We need to get God's people back in God's Word. It's crazy to me, and my mentor pointed this out not too long ago, it's crazy to me how many people say they believe this book, but they've never read it. I'm not talking about parts of it. I'm talking about Genesis to Revelation. They say that they believe this book. And if I were to take a poll around the room today and I say, how many people believe this book? Most of the people in the room. If I said, how many people don't believe this book? There may be a couple of you. And if you're here, I want to talk to you. Maybe not today because I got another service and stuff. But, but at some point, we want to talk to you as a church. Why? Because if you don't believe this book, I can prove to you that this is the most reasonable explanation of where we came from, where we're going, and why we're here. 
But if you've never read this book, then you can't say you believe in this book because you don't even know what you believe in and you can't believe in something you don't know. Come on, somebody, are you with me today? So I, I heard a, my, one of our uh, national leaders of the Assemblies of God is elder now. He was assistant superintendent for years of 30,000 plus pastors. He's from the state of Arkansas. It's so funny that a, a, a country boy from Arkansas got put at the head of the Assemblies of God. That's the funniest thing because God uses the foolish to confound the wise. Those are his words, not mine. But, but Pastor Alton Garrison, he said his, his friend, as the bishop and the head overseer of the church of God, Pastor Tim Hill, he heard him preach. He hears it say it in almost every message. He said, I don't know if I'm anointed or mad, but I'll let you decide by the end of this message. I came, I'm telling you today, I'm ticked. I'm so sick of people saying that they're saved and not being able to say a word out of this book. I'm so tired of people saying that they're in Christ, but they don't even know who he is. I'm so tired of emotional experiences that don't produce any transformation outside of worship centers that I could throw up in my mouth and spit it on somebody. I'm telling you, I'm so tired of the devil and what he has done to the bride of Jesus Christ that was spotless, but now just looks like everybody else. And the reason that we look like everybody else is because we say we believe in this book but all we ever do is listen to somebody else talk about it we say we believe in this book but we call 30 seconds on instagram spending time in god's presence don't you spend time with me and call it spending time with jesus this is a supplement to what god has for you if this is the source of your growth no wonder you're starving spiritually and the society and your job and your bank account and your boss and your employees and your children and your ex have more influence on you than you have on them. You better get in this book and get this book in you because God wants to use you to do something about what's going on around you when you let him do something about what's going on inside of you. I came mad and anointed today and the enemy has done irritated me and I came to irritate him back in the name of Jesus. Get in this book. Prioritize it, plan it, schedule it. Go to bed every night reading this book. Wake up every morning reading this book. Don't eat at lunch if you have to, to have time to get in this book. Our schedules and our finances show what we really care about and we can't complain about a world that we're not winning. We gotta get God's people back in God's word. If you're a visitor, I promise it's not like this every week. <laughs> if you're a guest, just lean over to your friend and say, what have you gotten me into? <laughs> I got to preach this week because we're bringing evangelist Peter Reeds in next week. And I've seen him and heard him preach before and he can out preach me. So I had to set the bar this week. <laughs> Let me come down off of the mountain of God for a moment. If you've never read this book before, and if you've never studied this book before, and you don't know what to do, then don't open it. Don't play Bible roulette. You know what that is? That's where you do like this. All right, I'll study that one. That's probably not going to work for you. I mean, God's sovereign enough. He might help you that way. But don't turn to the book of Lamentations and try to interpret it. You might not want to start in the book of Levit Leviticus. Although, let me tell you, one of the verses that are quoted by pastors all over the earth, as much as any other verse, comes out of Lamentations. 
Chapter three, verse 22. The Bible says that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases and his mercies never end. They are made new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness, O Lord. The Lord is my portion. So if you'll just get in this book and give God enough time to give you what he has for you. Oh, come on. You'll wait in a restaurant, but you won't wait on the Lord. No wonder we're so spiritually hungry. All we care about is food and entertainment. And we need to begin to care about the things of God and the people of God and the kingdom of God. So don't start in lamentations. I said I was going to come off the mountain. Then I went right, right back up there. Don't start in lamentations. Open the Version Bible app. I heard Joyce Meyer say recently, and if you don't like Joyce Meyer, I don't care. I do. And she, <laughs> she said, I heard her say recently, I didn't know how to study the Bible, so I just start studying what I struggled with. If you don't know what to study, then study what you struggle with. If you're insecure, study your identity. You see the devil attacking identity all over the world. You know why people are so confused? And now we're confusing male and female because the people of God have been confused a long time ago about, what they, about who they are and what they're supposed to do. Study your identity. Listen, if you're stingy, don't go study prosperity. If you're bitter, don't go study about the vengeance of God. You'll justify yourself. You're reading into the word of God what you want it to say. Somebody might want to write this down. You don't study the book with an agenda. You study the book out of desire. A desire to, well, I'm not fasting with an agenda. And then, now listen, I have a prayer list and I have people's names on it and I have some stuff that I want to see God do and I'm calling him and I'm praying and I'm asking him. But at the end of the day, I, I, I don't want God to just know what I want. I want to know what he wants. I want to read out of the book what God has for me. I want to read, I want to fast out of the things that God doesn't have for me. I want to pray into the things that God does have for me. I don't fast and pray. I don't give and serve. I, I, I don't study and learn and read so that I can get what I want. I, I do all those things so that God will align my spirit with his spirit and he'll show me what he has because I can promise you what he has is way better than what you've been in. God doesn't give you the destination until you give him the discipline. That's not even in my notes. I'm just trying to help somebody today. He's not going to show you everything that he has for you until you give him everything that you have in every area of our lives. Study what you struggle with. Some of you need to study generosity. Some of you need to study humility because God resists the proud. Some of you need to study, <laughs> and you're so bitter and angry that you've built so many fences, you'll never get over them. You're so offended that God couldn't anoint you if he came down and had Levi pull out oil on top of your head. Some of you don't even know who Levi is, and you say you say, but you gotta get in this book. Download the YouVersion Bible app. We give you a Bible study to read every single week. If you don't know where to start, you can start, this is the title of the message today, In the Beginning. I'm going to help somebody right now. If you go read the Old Testament, then you probably need to read some Psalm or, or, or Proverb or some of the New Testament. Why? Because uh, without, without the Old Testament, the New Testament doesn't make as much sense. And without the New Testament, the Old Testament is incomplete. You don't need to, you don't need to learn some of the book. You need to learn all of the book. I got to keep moving. 
When you read the Bible, you have to understand and you need to recognize that everything in this book, this is not just a book, it's a body. That's why it's so important you don't just take a finger out and make doctrine out of it. You don't just rip off an arm and say, we're going to stand on this one and die. It's already dead. You killed it a long time ago. You study what you struggle with. Hey, but you know what? If I started to write, if you're a mature believer, but I think every believer, you should have a daily habit of reading God's word. You can't show up once or twice a month and call that faithfulness to God. That's not biblical Christianity. It's American Christianity. That's why America's dying. Hello. Biblical Christianity is a daily, give me this day, my daily bread. I'm not going to live off of what I ate yesterday. Why don't you try that this week? Don't eat again until next Saturday. Let me know how it works out for you. Come on, we get overwhelmed about fasting food, but we've been fasting the food of God for a long time and wonder why we're spiritual skeletons. Come on, somebody. I'm preaching this morning. I'm angry or anointed. I don't know which one it is, but I'm just going to give you what I got. I'm going to take a break next Sunday, let somebody else feed me. But I'm going to eat all week. See, if this is your source for your spiritual sanctification, then you will never outgrow what God's told me. That was better than y'all get. I'm going to try it over here. (laughs) If, If Sunday morning is the source of your spiritual sanctification, Sunday morning can't be the source. It can be a supplement. It's like a side dish. But the source of what God has for you is not going to come out of me. The source of what God has for you is not going to come out of my time with Jesus. It's going to come out of your time with Jesus. Sunday morning should be a celebration of what you're doing every other morning, evening, and afternoon. That's the way this thing works. But you need to understand, here's what transformed me. And I had a group of people around me this morning. And I said, I want you to pray this. And we prayed for longer than they wanted to. (laughs) We prayed that you would understand something that transformed my time in this word. Everything in this book points to Jesus. Everything in this book is about Jesus. If, If you try to separate Jesus from this book, then you'll think the Old Testament is about an angry God and the New Testament is about a gentle son. But you can't take scripture out of the context that it was supposed to be preached in. I'll get back to that in a minute. Everything in this book points to Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning. That means when you open this book and or the app, and I don't care, blue letter Bible, U version, logos, it don't matter to me. I don't care how you read the Bible. You just need to read it. I don't care how you read the Bible. I got one yeah over here, but I want everybody to know. I don't care. It doesn't matter how you read it, whether it's digital or analog. The point is that you take the time to read and hear this word aloud so that it can get in you. Everything in this book points to Jesus. When you open this book, Jesus walks in. And some of you have said like me, well, if I could hear Jesus and I could see Jesus and I could spend time with Jesus like the disciples did, then I'd live for him better than they did. But they would say, if I had everything that Jesus already said, I'd be doing way better than you are. We have more than they had. You need to understand when you read this body, you're reading Jesus because Jesus is the body. The body is the book. The book is the body and the book is Jesus. Did I say it all right? I don't know. I'm just letting you know that will transform what happens when you open this book early in the morning, whether you feel anything or not. 
Get out of your sensations and get in his spirit and your feelings will follow your faith instead of you floundering around searching for feelings all the time. Everything in this book is about Jesus. It's all about, somebody say it. Come on, if you can't say the name around a bunch of saved people, you ain't got a snowball's chance in hell out in society. It's all about the light in the beginning was, the sacrificial lamb of Abraham is, the Levitical law being fulfilled by, the serpent lifted up in the wilderness, the rock that followed the people, the will of God is, the fourth man in the fire, the son of man walking across the water in Daniel, the kinsman redeemer of Ruth, the anointing of David, the blessing of Malachi, the genealogy of Matthew, the doctrine of Paul, the revelation of John, the alpha, the omega, the beginning, the end, the everlasting to everlasting, the one coming on a white horse to receive a spotless bride. His name is above every other name and at the mention of his name, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is, let's say, everybody give him praise one time. If you can't praise him when it's conducive, you'll never praise him when it's not. His name is Jesus and this book is about him. Everything in this book points to Jesus. Psalm 119 is the biggest chapter in the Bible. It has 163 verses. Two verses out of 163 don't reference this book, the body, Jesus Christ himself in some way. So we're gonna read all 160, no, we're not doing that. (laughs) We're gonna start in verse nine, and I want you to see how many references to the word, and remember, to Jesus, because Jesus is the word, and the word is Jesus. So when you don't open this book, you're not open to Jesus. When you don't spend time in this book, you're not spending time with Jesus. This counts as one of the seven times you should spend time with Jesus. One, this is one meal for one week. Psalm 119, beginning in verse nine, it says, how can a young man stop looking at porn? Oh, I just dug in deep. If we can't say it from the pulpit, then you'll keep struggling with it outside of it. And we have a generation of people. Did you know that in 2020, the views of inappropriate images and websites through apps and the internet increased by 40% because people were stuck at home and they don't know how to worship God when somebody else doesn't prepare the table for them. How can a young woman learn how to dress so that she'll stop striving for inappropriate attention because she has no identity outside of what little boys will give to her? How can all the elders in the church look at women across the church and men across the church as brothers and sisters in Christ instead of objects of their lust that they continue to fulfill, whether in secret and finally manifested in public? How can we stop living together and stop waiting and start waiting on the Lord and for holy matrimony? How can all of these things begin to get back in the house of God so that the people in the house of God will actually be the evidence of God to the people that aren't there. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it. 
according to your word. Verse 10, with my whole heart. David told Solomon, you can't serve the Lord with a divided heart. And when Solomon divided his heart between God and the high places and God and his riches and God and his women and God and his promotions and God and his prosperity, the whole kingdom became divided because his sons became divided. Because what we allow the enemy to divide in us begins to be accepted by those around us. And God didn't say, if you seek me, you'll find me. If you give me a courtesy call on occasion. He said, if you seek me, you will find me. If you seek me with your whole heart. In other words, God doesn't want partial obedience. He doesn't want partial discipline. He's not going to tell you what he has for you because you throw him a bone once or twice a month on Sunday. I don't know whether I'm mad or anointed or about to fall down because of a step, but I'm going to stand up in Christ and greater is he that is on the inside of me than what's going on in society and the outside of me. And though I may stumble, I will not fall for the Lord upholds me with his hand as long as my whole heart is seeking after him. Stop seeking what you want and stop seeking what God has for you. Stop seeking the will of God and start seeking the presence of God and he will show you what he has for you. Delight yourself in the Lord and then he will give you the desires of you. I gotta keep going. Verse 11, I have stored up your word in my heart. The human heart is so deceitfully wicked because all the humans that say they have Jesus in their heart are so deceitfully lazy. And distracted. And they have divided hearts. And if God doesn't do what they want, then they go somewhere else. Come on, Jesus is not something you take off of a hanger and try on. Jesus is a robe of righteousness that replaces everything else that he's cleansed you of. When you put him on, you don't ever take him off again. You commit to him and you surrender to him with all of your heart. And then you spend time in his word because the more that you spend time in his word and the more that you study, the more that you learn and the more that you learn, the more that you know and the more that you know Jesus and the more that you know this book, the more you begin to love him and live for him. There's nothing wrong with you or the way that you feel except for that you are human, fallen, and you need a savior to get inside of you so that you learn how to walk by his spirit and not gratify the desires of your flesh. I'm telling you right now, she's going to be up there playing for a long time. Verse 12. Hang on, hang on, hang on. I'm not done with that one. I've stored up your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. That means that the author of this psalm did not believe the God-forsaken gospel that you can receive salvation and stay stuck in sin. The author of this psalm believed that you could get enough of this word in your heart that your flesh gets out of the way and you could actually walk free from sin. I've stored it up. I've studied it. It's written on the doorpost. I see it in my heart. I meditate on it. I, I won't just wait, on, wait, wait at a restaurant for the food that I want. I'll wait on the Lord for the food that he has. Crazy to me what all people will wait on. 
standing in line for an iPhone. Oh, I'm just getting in stuff. I need to keep going. Standing in line for tickets to a ball game. Give thousands of dollars for entertainment. Won't help us pay off a building. I'm just, I got to keep going. Priorities. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 12, verse 1, that he who loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates correction is stupid. It's my favorite word in the Bible, right after Jesus. You know why we're not growing? Because we got too many so-called saved people that are stupid. Because they hate discipline and they hate correction. And the Bible said, I didn't say, I didn't write the Bible, I'm just reading it. He who loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates correction is stupid. And Solomon wrote in verse 15, that the way of a fool seems right unto them, but the wise listen to advice from others. And we got a church full of people that don't want to be challenged. Not just here, I'm talking about America. We got a church full of people that don't want to be challenged. We got a church full of people, so-called disciples with no discipline. We got a church full of individuals. All they want is a cheerleader that makes them feel better about their rottenness. All they want is somebody that will make them glad about how bad they are. But God said, if you love discipline and you love knowledge and you love correction, then he will raise up a generation that is consecrated, set apart, that he can shine his light to and he can shine his light through. Holy Ghost, be a coach for us. I will meditate. Jump with me to verse 15. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. It's not about rules. It is about rules. You can't have justice without rules and standards. It is about morality. It is, a, well, it's about relationship. You're right, and relationship has rules. I have a relationship with my wife. There's some rules. And if I break the rules, the relationship reminds me. So I'm not satisfied with the relationship that doesn't have the rules. Are y'all okay? You with me? I will delight in your statutes. I love your word. I love your rules. I will not forget your word. If I do forget, I'll go back to it. I ain't gonna have a problem with stretching and, and I don't have a problem with soft music. And, but I'm telling you, Eastern transcendentalism doesn't get to steal meditation and call it theirs because the writers of this book said things about meditation a long time ago. I will delight in this law. I will delight in these rules and I will meditate on them day and night. This book of the law shall not depart my mouth. We gotta get back in this book. This isn't enough. Your word, Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Your word. That's not gonna give you what you want. Don't listen to that lie. Matthew chapter four. Jesus answers the temptation of the devil. We only get to see three of them. The Bible says the devil tempted him for 40 days. 
while he was fasting. See, the devil's dumb too. You don't mess with people while they're fasting. They may look physically weak, but spiritually they're stronger than they've ever been. And the devil comes to Jesus and he tempts Jesus and Jesus answers the temptation with the word. Jesus says, it is written. The reason your temptation is overcoming you is because you don't know what to say back to it. The reason that the church is just as addicted as the people that are supposed to be winning is because we don't know how to speak to the addiction. And so we're like the sons of Sceva going up against demons in the name of Jesus that other people know instead of the one that we know personally. Jesus said, it is written that man shall not live upon bread alone, but by every, somebody say every, every word that comes from the mouth of God. Have you ever had or been around a child or a teacher or a coach or, or, or maybe even an employee and you had to ask them this question? You told them to do something and they did something else and you come back to them and you say, what did I say? I feel like that's one of my favorite phrases and I don't even like it. I'm I wrote this last week and yesterday I said this phrase. I said, I'm gonna put that in my sermon, but I'm not because I don't want to get back to my children that I was talking about them. I told a child to do one thing and then I said, just act like you're going, don't really do it. Just act like you're going, just scare them. Just, it's just for fun. A couple of seconds later, pow! They did what I told them not to. And I turned around and I looked at the child and all the color that my poor little pale children do have just completely left. And I, and I looked and I, what did I say? What did I say? I can't, it just, it baffles. When I tell somebody to do something and they do that and something, or, or when I tell somebody to do something and they don't do what I, ju I just said. I just told you what you, I just said it. There was a, we both speak English. It's not like I said it in tongues and left it up to the Spirit to help you interpret. What did I say? I think Jesus is telling the devil, what did I say in this passage? Because then the devil sees that Jesus uses the word, so he tries to use the same thing that Jesus used, except for he didn't hear all that Jesus said. Jesus said every word. So then the devil did what y'all do and what I do. The devil took a word and tried to apply it the way that he wanted to apply it. He took it out of the scope of scripture, tried to make doctrine out of it. That's how you get hyper grace movements that still allow too much unsanctification to stand on platforms. It's how you start preaching prosperity only gospels. It's how you remove the grace from the gospel at all and you make it about works and performance. When you take a word, Jesus didn't say, I want to give you a word. Come on, somebody. You've been meditating on John 3, 16 long enough. It's time to learn something else. Every word that comes from the mouth of God. The devil makes two mistakes. Number one, he didn't hear Jesus correctly. Number two, he did what we do. He didn't understand that Jesus was the word. He thought he could separate the word from Jesus and Jesus from the word, but he didn't realize that Jesus's identity and the identity of the word were synonymous with the son. So what the son, who the son was and what was spoken about and by the son were synonymous together. You can't separate them. 
The devil made that mistake. So then the devil tries to use the word of God. Well, you know, it is written, you should cast yourself off of this cliff for it is written that he will charge his angels over you. And Jesus said, what did I say? Now you go look at it. Jesus said, no, 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 it is also written. You can't take scripture out of context. You gotta read what God wants you to learn from whatever it is that you're studying. Why? Because the word of God, I've used a little piddly sword in the past, but the word of God is a weapon. It is a weapon of warfare. That, way, that means if you don't use it correctly, you're gonna hurt yourself or somebody else. But it is the only weapon mentioned in the armor of God. And if you don't know the armor of God, you need to go study Ephesians chapter six so that you can learn the armor of God. Cause some of y'all are going out spiritually naked every morning wondering why you getting attacked. Cause the devil ain't scared of you. And neither are the people that represent him. And there's one weapon in all of the armor. The Bible says, but pick up, put on the whole armor of God. It goes through it and pick up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And then when you pick up the sword of the spirit, you can go to that temptation and you can, what did I say in the name of Jesus? You can go to that addiction. What did I say? You can go to that impurity, that immorality. You can go to that prodigal son. Come on. You can go to that wayward wife. You can go to that arrogant husband. You can go to that rebellious kid. You can go to that immoral report. You can go to that doctor's orders. You can go to that deadly disease. Come on, somebody. You can go and open up the blind eyes and unlock the deaf ears. You can go and speak to that overwhelming bill. You can go and tell that devil in the name of Jesus, be gone as he told you, I tell you, and I come in the same power and the same authority because I will worship the Lord my God and I will serve him only. The word of God is a weapon. It's the only weapon we got too many defensive disciples. It's time that we go on the offense. I'm not talking about being offended. I'm talking about picking up the sword and fighting back for your children, for your marriage, for your finances, for your entrepreneurial spirit. I'm talking about fighting back for your schedule. Pick up the sword of the spirit which is the Word of God, because the Word of God is a weapon of warfare. And here's my final point, because I'm about to sweat through this first shirt. And I can't eat today anyway, so I'm not in a hurry. The Word of God is a catalyst for revival. I'm not talking about an emotional experience that doesn't actually impact anybody. We've had enough of those. We've had enough, I said, we've had enough of those. I'm not, I'm not against a mighty move, undeniable move of the Spirit of God. But I'm telling you, I'm so sick of people falling down and getting up just as stupid as they went down. I'm so sick of people saying they speak in tongues, but they're evil in English. I'm so tired of people that say they believe in Jesus, but they hadn't won anybody, including their own kindred to, it, to the kingdom of God in the last decade. And I'm so tired of people saying they want the glory, but they wouldn't do anything with it if God himself put Levi down here to pour out the oil. If Samuel woke up from the dead and came over and laid hands on some people, they'd walk out just like they came in. 
The Word is the catalyst. I had the privilege this past week of taking my bride to be around the national leadership of the Assemblies of God. I don't deserve a seat at that table. I don't even know why I was there, much less why I was asked my opinion in some scenarios. And I'm around the superintendent, Doug Clay, and the assistant superintendent and the treasurer, uh, Choco De Jesus or Wilfredo De Jesus. And I'm around the CMN director and I'm sitting around the table with, with Choco's new pastor. And, and I'm sitting around the table with superintendents of the Louisiana, Texas uh, district of the Assemblies of God and, and listening to all these people. And I heard Rick Dubose call me his spiritual son. See, I, I spent two decades hoping that God would send me a spiritual father because my biological father passed away. And then the Lord told me, that if you'll get in my word, the Holy Ghost is enough. I'll mentor you myself if you'll stop looking to men and start looking to me. That was a word for, y'all need to stop looking to a man. Oh, ladies, well, if my husband will leave like he's supposed to. No, no, no. God didn't send a man to get you out of what he sent the son of man to get you out. And if you'll stop looking to a man and start looking to God, he will help you. And so I went on this journey. And now one of the men calls me a spiritual son, my spiritual father, Rick Dubose. He said, revival begins in the womb of prayer. That's why we're gonna pray every morning. Revival begins in the womb of prayer. Revival incubates in the womb of prayer. But revival is birthed by the word of God. Revival is sustained when the saved and the spirit filled get in this book. Second Kings chapter 22, I promise I'm ready to be done. I don't know how much longer I have, but I don't do this to you often. Pastor Peter's gonna be on time next week because I'm gonna tell him to. He's not watching this, so he doesn't see this horrible example I'm giving him. Second Kings chapter 22, the Bible says Hilkiah the priest you read the whole context of the, the scripture. It says, Hilkiah the priest went to the house of God and he found the word of God in the house of God. And then Hilkiah the priest gave it to Shaphan the secretary and he said, hey, hey, you need to read this. You need to read this. See, it all started because God put an eight-year-old on the throne. King Josiah. God put King Josiah, the eight-year-old on the throne. Why? Because when the former generation stop following Jesus, God has to raise up a child. And when God has to raise up a child, everybody has to wait on the child to grow up. So God put an eight-year-old on the throne because there was nobody else that God could use to lead the nation where he wanted to take them. Put an eight-year-old. And the whole nation had to wait 18 years. And I don't know why Josiah waited 18 years except for he was a kid and he didn't know any better. But after 18 years, the Bible says that he sent Hilkiah the priest to the temple of God. Nobody's been in there. It became a storage room, kind of like your Bible on your bedside table. It can't have more dust on it than you have on you or there's just a bad combination. And he said, Hilkiah, I want you to go to the temple. By the way, you got to remember this, the imagery here, it all points to Jesus and the New Testament. In the New Testament, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit that dwells within us. Hilkiah the priest went to the temple of God and the Bible says he found the law or the book of the law or the word of God in the temple of God or the house of God. And then he reads it 
Watch, he reads it, he takes it to the secretary, the secretary reads it, takes it to King Josiah, King Josiah reads it, then he calls all the people and he reads it to them. And he didn't have a 30 minute clock because everybody was ready for lunch. In fact, if they left, they probably got dead because he was the king. They didn't get to go to the bathroom because the preacher preached half as long as the movie they watched yesterday. You'll hold it in a theater, you can hold it in a worship center. I just felt that in my spirit right now. Come on, sir. He read the word of God and the Bible says, when they heard the word of God, revival began to break out. When they read the word of God, revival began to break out. Why? Because the word of God is the catalyst for revival. The Bible says that King Josiah, he, he demoted and removed all of the false prophets. He tore down all of the high places and, and all of the idols that he had set up for himself. Everything begins and ends with the leader. And if you're in here right now, then God has anointed you to be the leader. Everything begins and ends with the leader. I heard the old evangelist say, if you wanna see revival take place around you, then draw a circle. God, let it start right here. Right here in this circle. King Josiah did what was pleasing in the sight of the Lord. Pastor Doug Clay pointed this out. I said, oh, I'm gonna preach that. The general superintendent of the assemblies of God with tears in his eyes, he said this. He said, if they found the word of God in the house of God, it means they lost the word of God in the house of God. Some of y'all missed it because you're ready for me to be done. The rest of y'all gonna get it. See, if you find the word of God in the house of God, then you need to realize it's because you lost the word of God. And if you will get back in this book, then God will begin to let revival be incubated and ultimately it will be given birth in you and then it will begin to affect everybody in the sphere of your circle. 